Hello. I know Dwayne already asked, but how are you guys this evening? Good. That's good. I was thinking that my favorite holiday is probably Christmas. I know there's a lot of lame and disturbing things about commercial Christmas, but I like lights and snow and and warm fires and sentimental things and the fact that our Lord was born and came to the earth, which is a wonderful thing. Um, would you open with me, please, to Philippians chapter 4? I was thinking just before this, so we ditched the name, the fold, you know. I was thinking we should just call this event something else, because that's what we always end up putting up on the board. Seems like it'd be a good idea to just call it that. Something else on Tuesday nights with CNCF. Um, God is pleased to ruin our plans that we make um, to teach us to rely on Him. And so, He's changed our plans again tonight, and we're going to be in Philippians 4. So please look with me. Uh, I was going to start later in the chapter. I'm going to start in verse 4, though, because it's reflective. Well, that song is reflective of what's in verse 4, the first song that we sang. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We just sang that together. We rejoiced in God, and we should continually be doing that. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, also appropriate, Right. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we're actually going to be looking at, sorry, we're actually going to be looking at uh, verse 8 and 9, which says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you please pray with me? Father, we do rejoice in your word. We rejoice in your Son, Jesus Christ, because he has brought us before you, our Father. You have displayed the depth of your love for us in his wounds and in his sacrifice. We pray that as we come to your word again tonight, that you would revive us, that you would fill our hearts with love for your word and for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Wake us up, Father, and grow us in knowledge and in wisdom and in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this may be a passage that you're familiar with. This was one of my favorite passages growing up. I remember learning it in middle school or high school or something where Paul talks about the things that we should think about or dwell on. Um, And he runs down a list of the kinds of things that we should dwell on. Okay, so the first thing that we see in verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, Paul's closing his letter to the Philippians here. He says... Whatever is true, whatever is true. So what does it mean for something to be true? Well, we want things that tell the truth about who God is, 
who we are, what the world is, all the things we've been learning in Bible study, what truth is. We want things that proclaim that truth about who God is, who we are, what the world is. And we should dwell on things that faithfully tell about God and us and what the world is. Um, We should be honest ourselves with who God is, with who we are, with what the world is. Our words that we speak should match up with how we live. We shouldn't present a picture of ourselves to other people that's not who we really are. We should love things that are true and honest, and that starts with us. So Paul says, whatever is true, he says, whatever is honorable, what does it mean for something to be honorable? There's an easy answer to that, Mary said. What did you say? Worthy of honor. That's right. Um, So how do you measure? What measure do you use to measure if something is worthy of honor? What's that? Righteousness. Um, That's right. So what does it mean to measure something by righteousness? How do you determine if if something's worthy of honoring it? Okay. Explain yourself. So, like, (laughs) what do you mean? What sorts of things do we honor? Or when we think of the word honor, what sorts of things do we associate with that? Think of honor. Knights. Yeah, that's right. Knights have honor, right? What gives a knight honor? (laughs) Yeah, they do do that. That's right. Um, We think of knights. What else do we think of when we think of honor? Integrity, dignity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think more of like pictures that we have in our mind. So we can have, you know, synonyms and things like dignity and integrity. But yeah, what sorts of pictures like knights and judges. So you think of your honor, right? In a courtroom, police officers. Yep, men who serve in the military and sacrifice themselves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Someone worthy of honor. We've kind of lost our dads. Yeah, for many of us, yes. We have honorable fathers. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, Nisha said, people of position, of honor, someone... And we, we've somewhat, we've lost this in a lot of ways. We, we look at, at kings and the honor and the, the fealty and the, the homage that people paid to kings, and we kind of look down on it. You said knights, and like, oh, that's, that's from a day gone by where, you know, they patronized women and thought they had to rescue them. And, um, and but there is kingship, 
that we need to understand because Christ is king. Because Jesus is king over all of heaven, all of earth, and he's the king of this university. He's the, he owns the ground that this university is built on, right? That's what it means for him to be king, for all authority to be given to him in heaven and on earth. Christ is honorable. He is the most honorable. If anyone should be called your honor, it's Jesus Christ, because he is the king. He has rescued and is rescuing his bride, right? Um, and so a question that I think we ought to ask ourselves when we think about what is honorable, is it worthy of being associated with Jesus Christ? Should it be associated with the king? A knight, an honorable knight, how do you judge whether he's honorable? Is he worthy of being associated with the king? Or is he off doing his own thing? So honorable things ought to be worthy of association with the king, Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, whatever is right. And what does that mean? Oh, you have just. That's, it's the same thing. That gives us a fuller meaning of what's meant by right here. So there's a word used throughout scripture. Um, we have the word righteous that appears a lot, which we have kind of generally often a negative picture of righteousness because when we think of someone being righteous, we think of them being self-righteous and exerting their own righteousness. Um, but again, we have to come back to Christ um, and righteous often is translated in different translations as just. Okay, just meaning, not I just did something, but, um, but just as in, in accordance with the law, faithful to the law, like justice. For something to be just, it means for it to be righteous. Um, and morally right, Okay. When it stands up under judgment. Um, and so there are such things as right and wrong. So we have Christ who receives honor, but Christ is also the picture of righteousness. He is worthy of our worship and our honor because he's righteous. He is the standard of moral rightness. And we see that um, in Acts 17 when Paul is preaching. God says... Paul says that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the entire world by the standard of one man. Okay, and he's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard. You know, we've got the law and things written down, but ultimately Jesus is the embodiment of the law by which each of us and everyone around you will be judged is by his standard. He is right and righteous. Um... Then Paul says, uh, whatever is pure. Does your guys say pure? Mine says pure. Yeah, this is, different translations do some of these words different, typically because their meaning is a little fuller in the original um, Greek than it is in English, and so we make our best attempts at translating it. Um, and here we've got whatever is pure. What do you think of when you think of pure things? What pictures? Clean snow, yes, that's, yeah. I am enjoying the cold and snow right now. Um, 
Um, it's come a little early, but snow is a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. It's white, so white. Actually, one of my favorite things, this is what gets me through winter, is when you walk outside at night, when it's snow, there's like a fresh snow on the ground, and you walk outside and everything is bright because the moon's out, but everything is completely silent. It's just a wonderful thing about winter. Um, and the snow, the purity and the, the peace of the snow is your sins will be whiter than snow, right? Isn't that a glorious promise from God that they will be washed clean? And so that is, is purity, is that pure of the snow, the whiteness of the snow. Um, Impurity is directly related to our bodies. Um, so we had the privilege of having Andy Halsey come preach to us at the men's retreat this past weekend. And he talked a lot about worshiping God with our bodies. In Romans 12, God says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, as holy and living sacrifices to him, which means we do actual things with our actual bodies. It's not just all spiritual and in the clouds. But our bodies are connected to our souls. And so when Paul says to dwell on things that are pure, we are to remember that we, our bodies, have been bought with a price. Your hands belong to Jesus Christ. Your lips belong to Jesus Christ. Your eyes belong to Jesus Christ. Your ears belong to Jesus Christ. Every part of your body, what makes you a woman and what makes you a man, belongs to Jesus Christ. Your mind belongs to Christ Jesus. He owns you because he's made you and bought you. Okay? If you've trusted in him, he owns you twice because he made you and he bought you. And even if you haven't trusted in him, Christ owns you because he made you, and you are to serve him. Next, Paul says to dwell on whatever is lovely. And the main thing I want to point out here is that lovely and pure exist in the same category. In fact, lovely and pure cannot be separated. If you want loveliness, it always comes with purity. If you want purity, it always comes with loveliness. Now, the world wants to separate these two things. The world tries to say that if you want to be pure, then you're sacrificing loveliness and beauty. And then on the other side, the world tells us, if you want loveliness, okay, so I got lost. If you want loveliness, you have to sacrifice purity. You can't, they don't go together. If you want something that's pleasurable and lovely and looks good, then you have to throw purity out the window or the other way around. Okay, fine, you can have purity, but you'll be ugly. But it's a lie. These things exist together. Purity and loveliness exist in the same world and they don't exist apart from each other because what God declares to be lovely is lovely and that is purity. And then Paul says, whatever is of good repute, 
Um, and he just kind of, this isn't like a complete list here, okay? Paul is, this is at a point in his letter where he's exploding with praise to God, and he's listing things off, and he just kind of lists some things here at the end that all mean something for us, but he says, of good repute, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, and it's, it's reflective of some of the things we've talked about, is something that you dwell on, is what's happening in your mind worthy of anyone's praise? What you're dwelling on, is it worthy of praise from God, from men, from anyone? Okay? Is it excellent? Do you want your reputation to be the things that you're dwelling on? So the first thing I want to point out as we get through this list is this. Obedience is just drudgery, isn't it? I mean, this is Paul calling us to obedience. Isn't obedience such an awful thing that, like, it's so painful and unpleasant and lame that we have to think about things that are honorable and true and right and pure and lovely? I mean, I have to think about lovely things? That's lame. Why do I have to think about lovely things and excellent things? Can't I think about unlovely, impure, dishonorable things? Why would you want to? God has called us to joyful obedience to Christ Jesus. And it's a joyful thing. This is what God is calling to. Is there anything unpleasant about anything Paul has called us to, that the Holy Spirit is calling us to in this passage. No, he's calling us to live our lives to the fullest by dwelling on things that are honorable, that are pure, that are right, that are of good repute. We want these things, right? You want all of these things that are in this list. Joyful obedience is what God is calling us to. And not joyful obedience in spite of the fact that what we're called to do is not joyful. No, God has called us to do joyful things, even to think about wonderful things. So what does it mean, though, to dwell on something? Is Paul talking about some sort of mystical exercise of Buddhist meditation where we have to sit and, you know, oh, Think of Rafiki. (laughs) Is this some mysterious dwelling that we have to try to reach some higher spiritual plane by doing certain things and uttering incantations? No, it's not. It's not some mystical concept of meditation. Dwelling on something is something you're quite familiar with. You know exactly what it means to dwell on something. Okay, you do it all the time. What do you dwell on? (laughs) The jerk in the checkout line, yeah, for your entire drive home, right, from the store. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Money, we dwell on money all the time. What else do you dwell on? 
sports? Yes, you know exactly what it means to dwell on something. This isn't some mystery, what Paul is telling us. You dwell on money. You dwell on conversations, either real ones or imagined ones in your head. You dwell on relationships with other people. You dwell on lustful fantasies. You dwell on what you think of other people and how you're going to give them a piece of your mind. You dwell on how you're going to get the next level of a video game. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of, a lot of these things. I do a lot of a lot of these things. You dwell on what you're going to eat later, what you're going to do this weekend, what you're going to do on vacation next week. Right? You dwell on, you dwell on, you dwell on. That's what we're doing all the time, is dwelling on things. And you know what that means. The problem is most of what you dwell on is empty and even destructive to your soul. The things that we fill our mind with. Paul isn't calling us to do something foreign to us in the command to dwell. It's something that's very real to us and that we do all the time. He's calling us to redirect what we dwell on. And so how do you change what you dwell on, because that's what needs to happen. You don't need to figure out what dwelling on something means. You need to redirect. You need to change what you dwell on. Now, there are two factors that contribute to what you dwell on. First, the first factor in what you dwell on is what's already there, what your default setting is, okay? And what's your default setting? Is that that's your default setting yourself, or that's what you naturally dwell on? Yes. Dwell on. Okay. Yeah. We are given to thinking about ourselves above others, above God. We're consumed with ourselves, what we need, what we want, what other people think of us. Um... We are naturally consumed because of sin dwelling in us. Our default setting is to dwell on sinful things. Um, <clears throat> and so, if one of the things Andy said this weekend that stuck in my head, just because it was poignant, was that all you have to do is nothing to be lost. Right? If you do nothing, then you've sealed your fate. You are lost, right? Um, and that's not a statement of trying to please God with your own righteousness. But it is a statement that we ought to seek to obey God um, and dwell on these things like Paul commands us to. Um, and so we have to realize that what's already there, what the default setting is, is the first factor in what you dwell on. And so that is something that needs to change what's there. And how does that change your default setting? That's right. There's a switch that only God can flip from off to on by his Holy Spirit. To switch your default from yourself, from your sinful desires, to wanting to please him. That is the work of God's Spirit, and you should be seeking his Spirit in doing that every single day. Hebrews 10, 
16 and 17 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. There's a work that God does that he forgives our sin when we seek forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And then God puts his law into our hearts. It says that he writes it on our minds. God writes the law on our minds as a work of his spirit when we trust in Jesus Christ. He changes our default settings so that we actually are able to and want to please him. Okay, and that needs to happen. There needs to be a fundamental change of who you are by the Spirit of God. The second factor, though, of what you dwell on, what contributes to what you dwell on, is what you put in. So, think of your mind um, as functioning like your body. This is another helpful thing um, that Andy talked about this weekend You know, when you put junk into your body, does it produce something honorable and lovely? No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, goodness, even when we put good things into our body, it doesn't produce something lovely and honorable, does it? (laughs) No, it's the same with our minds, okay? If we put junk into our minds, it doesn't magically produce something honorable and lovely and pure, okay? Um, And so we must feed our minds with these things in very real ways. Um, And how do we feed our minds? What sorts of things do we do to feed our minds? What you read What you memorize, that's right, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's shameful. What you watch, who you spend time with, music, no, music doesn't affect you. I've had uh, this little, this little thing stuck in my head because we've been making phone calls for uh, Clear Note Fellowship, we've been calling people. Um, and I, you know, made 20 calls last night or whatever it was, and the Google Voice thing makes the same little ring every time, and it sticks in your brain. Um, And music does that. Even if you're not musical, music affects you. Um, What it does, how it makes you feel. Um, What we watch, what we listen to, what we read, what we play, the conversations we have, all of these things are putting something into our mind that affect what we're then dwelling on as a result of it. Okay, don't be a fool. What you eat affects your body. What you see, listen to, watch, whatever, affects your mind and what you're going to dwell on. Um, so what needs to happen is what Paul says, I don't remember where it is, But he says, you need to put off the old man. You need to put on the new man. Okay, there's two things that happen. And they're one and the same. Putting off the old man, putting on the new. Mortifying the flesh 
and living as slaves of righteousness. Okay? You can't have one without the other. There's uh, Danny's parents a few years back planted a swamp oak, which is a type of white oak. They have one in their front yard. And I find this an intriguing tree because it hangs on to its leaves all through the winter. They get brown and ugly and it's just kind of sitting there. And it hangs on to its leaves. They never fall. But they do fall. When do they fall? They fall in the spring. And why do they fall in the spring? Because there's new leaves coming out and they push off the old leaves. And finally, the old leaves fall off. And that's how it is with us and our sin, is that you don't just get rid of the old, okay? You don't just get rid of the thoughts and the dwelling on sinful and empty and destructive things and put them over here and then you've got this clean slate. No, something has to come in and push out the old, the unlovely, the dishonorable, the impure, Um. And so we must continually fill our minds with what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, the conversations we have with these things that are worthy to be associated with Christ Jesus, that tell the truth about who God is and who we are. We must be doing those things. Psalm 19, 7 to 9 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. This right here is our source of what is True, right, honorable, pure. Okay, what God says is those things. And we ought to fill our minds and our hearts with these things. And the promises and the judgments and the truth that is found in this word. Um, I've begun to realize over the past few years, it's been a very gradual thing, that there are things that I can sit and watch that cause my love for God to grow cold. Okay, it may be a TV show, it may be a certain kind of movie, and it may not be something that's explicitly objectionable or overtly, you know, impure in any way. But I know for me that there's a certain kind of TV show or movie to watch that makes me not want to go back to real life, back to work, back to my family, back to church. I want to continue dwelling in the world that I just entered into. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, And typically, most of those things, think about the TV shows that you watch and the movies that you watch. Most of them are godless. Literally, God is absent in them. Right? Am I wrong? The TV shows that we watch... We entertain ourselves with them. And in almost every one, God has been removed from the equation. But we feel okay about it because it's fictional anyways. It's fictitious. It's made up. So they can make up that God is not there. That's okay. But think about it. It is godless, most of the things that we, want, we watch. And we 
please ourselves by entering into a world for a time where God doesn't exist. How does that benefit your soul? Is it? Think about what you watch. Before you watch a movie, before you listen to a song, ask yourself and answer honestly, is this true? Is this honorable? Is this right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good repute? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Now, I know you think I'm crazy for suggesting this, that you actually have these thoughts before you watch something. You think, oh, stop being so stodgy and super spiritual. But this is what it means to live before the face of God. It's to think what we think are silly thoughts. Like if you were watching something, you know, the things that you're watching, would you be happy for an outsider to walk in? Um, Would you be okay with a non-Christian walking in and seeing what you're watching? Would you be okay inviting a Christian that you don't know to come watch the movie that you're about to watch? Would you be okay to have your pastor come in and join you to watch whatever you're going to watch? Would you be content to have Jesus walk in? You don't want me to say it because it's cliche, but you know, what if Jesus walked in and saw what you were doing? Um, But that's the reality that we need to work to, is that we live before the face of God. Okay, and the things that we do and give ourselves to ought to be honorable and ought to honor him. And he does watch and see. Not only what we're looking at, but he looks at our hearts. Okay? So process through that. It's not that hard. You know when you're watching something or about to. You know how to answer these questions. Is it honorable? Is it true? We want to be, come up with sophisticated ways. Of, well, you know, if you look at it this way, it could really be um, honorable because of, you know, this character does this certain thing, and I can make it honorable. I can fit it into an honorable box. Don't do gymnastics. Be honest with yourself as you feed your mind. Are you feeding it with honorable things, right things, pure things? Um, the last thing is what Paul says here at the end that makes me so uncomfortable as a pastor. It says uh, in verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Like, who, who could say that? Paul's so proud. This is what we should strive for, though. Can you say this to other people? Could you say this to anybody about how you are living? Not to be proud. Paul's not being proud here. But can you direct younger Christians, children, others to look at you? Can you tell them the things you see me doing and watching and looking at and the things that you've heard about me? Practice those things because I'm striving to live righteously before God. Yeah, follow my example. Can you say that about yourself? That should be what we strive for, is to be able to lead others. That's what it means to lead, is to be an example for other believers. And if you can't say this about yourself, then you're not leading, okay? 
And I'm not trying to stir up pride in you. I'm trying to get you to care for others and lead others to be spiritually mature. Which means you do these things. So that people hear about us and they hear that we've been faithful. They hear that we've been doing things that give us a reputation for being associated with Jesus Christ and being worthy of being associated with him. Sharing with him in all of the things that he gives to us. So think about these things. As you watch things, as you have free time over breaks coming up, over holiday times, fill your mind with good things, okay? Honorable things. Um, And it's not, remember, it's not a dreadful, painful, awful thing God is calling us to. These are all good things. Paul doesn't say, you know, think about what's boring and, and plain and despicable and lame. And, no, he calls us to think about wonderful things. That if we don't think they're wonderful, it's just because we're blind and we need God to open our eyes. And so think about all of these things. I'm just going to read it to finish out. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, you are the God of peace and we pray that you would be with us. Be merciful to us in our Dwelling on impure, wrong, unjust things. I pray that you would forgive us and give us minds that are prone to dwell on things that honor you and that honor your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his blood. We pray that you would cleanse us and make us new that we might honor him with how we live Father, strengthen us by your spirit to live worthy of the calling that you have called us to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.